Hello, everybody, and welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, the podcast that is now live under the sea. My name is Alex. I'm Iris. I'm Marcus. And I'm Michael. And today we have another very special guest, our uh, number one fan of Best Seat on the Couch. We have Sarah returning to the podcast. Hi, Sarah. Welcome back. All the way after uh, the Iron Giant episode. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me again. I'm, I'm honored to be your number one fan. <laughs> has it really been that long? Oh my I know. It it's been a it... minute. <laughs> my God. Uh, And we have you here today because we are talking about the Disney animated film Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Directed by Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise, the film premiered in June 2001 and is the 41st animated film, as well as Disney's first science fiction film. The story follows Milo Thatch, a linguist who wishes to follow in the footstep of his late grandfather and find the lost city of Atlantis. His chance comes when the mysterious Shepherd's Journal, a lost Atlantean artifact, provides him with a way to join an expedition to the sunken city as its translator. But the team soon finds that not only is Atlantis still standing, but is also still inhabited. The film was a commercial success, grossing $186 million on a $120 million budget, but was met with mixed reviews on release, with some critics praising the animation in action, while others criticizing the plot and the characters. Despite its reviews, Atlantis has bounced back somewhat as a cult classic, and is considered to be one of Disney's hidden gems. And, as always, there will be spoilers. So... We're in a bit of a unique situation here, where everyone from the main cast, uh, as I believe, has never watched Atlantis before, I think, this past week, uh, with the only exception being you, Sarah. You've uh, watched Atlantis uh, in your childhood as a kid, uh, but this was the first time that I watched Atlantis uh, uh, within this past week, and I I was I think I was built up uh I built up these expectations for Atlantis because I've been hearing it was the hidden gem of Disney something that was not really well known but was really really good uh, great story great plot great animations etc etc and so I was I think I was going into this movie with uh relatively high expectations uh, but I, I do think that those expectations were not... Uh, it didn't live up to those expectations, in my in my opinion. Um, I, we'll be talking a little bit about um, the story and the pacing a little bit later in the program, but I think my main hang-up uh, for the show... Don't get me wrong, the, the animation, I think, was the absolute best part of the, the movie. Uh, I love the CG... And the 2D, as well as like the fight scenes and everything like that. But I do think, for me, it was a little too fast-paced. Just because everything seemed to be going uh, a little too fast. There was a lot of uh, unexplained moments. Uh, We didn't really understand like the character arcs of a lot of the people in the crew i think from when they switched over to being just mercenaries uh, money hungry mercenaries to actually like caring about um milo and the people of atlantis 
Uh, I think, yeah, I think that was mostly my main hang-up, that it was just a little bit too fast for me. Um, but what about the rest of y'all? What did you think about uh, Atlantis? And uh, did you have the same experience as I did? So, as you said, I have not watched this movie ever, except for, I want to say, like, two days ago at this point. I currently have two really good things I like about this movie. One is, like, the first three minutes. Because I watched those first three minutes, and I was like, oh, that's so intriguing. Like, there's a laser, and then there's, like, there's all these ships flying around, and then, like, Atlantis is closing itself up, and the woman gets sucked out into this weird orb thing. I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? This is so cool. And I'll get to the second one later on. But it didn't follow through. That moment, those first three minutes, were the best part of that movie. Because I didn't know what the movie was actually about. It had so much intrigue, so much, maybe not mystery, but so much interesting aspects about it. Like, oh, why did, why was there a laser? Why is she getting signed up? Why, why is... Uh... <laughs> Like, how are all these things fish vehicles? How does that all work? Like, I, I literally in my head, I'm like, oh, what if they're aliens? And I was like, <laughs> all of it got crushed, though. Literally, as I started watching the next part with Milo, and then they're going to the museum, and I'm like, oh, God. Like, I don't know. I think that this movie is fine. I don't think it's bad. I do think that it set itself it's it set itself up too much it like made me think i was really gonna enjoy it and then when it turned out to be just an okay movie it really disappointed me i think so far that's where i'm at right now that i, I didn't necessarily come in with big expectations but the first three minutes gave me really big expectations and then it fell flat I mean, is it possible to get catfished by a piece of cinema? Because <laughs> that's what it sounds like you're describing here, and I'm not sure I disagree. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, I think that this movie has the unenviable position of being, like, passable. It's not spectacularly good. It's not spectacularly bad. I mean, to me, it's like... It, it feels it feels like in many parts it just kind of like grabbed the formula for you know the heart string jerking Disney movie and just sort of like chopped up a few of the pieces and shuffled around the 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 Jenga blocks a bit and it's like look you know it's like can I copy your homework sure but mix it up a little so it doesn't look like you cheated <laughs> I, I I brought this movie to the podcast because I had always been hearing about it, as you say, as a forgotten classic, you know, one of those movies that uh, really was spectacular from people's childhoods and just never got the recognition it deserved. I'm retroactively adjusting that opinion. I'm pretty sure everyone who watched this as a kid just is blinded my nostalgia and also thirst for Kida. That's, <laughs> I genuinely think that's a lot of it. Um, which, you know, I don't blame them. That's pretty much her singular character trait is being the hot one but we'll get to my thoughts on the characterization later point being i think this movie was you know once you get past the parts that 
I'm like less than comfy with is like fine. It's fine. It's, you know, there's an adventure and there's, you know, some death defying uh, hijinks and there's, you know, like the quest of discovery. It's it's sort of like a Disney-fied Dances with Wolves in many ways, you know, and Dances with Wolves is a good story. You know, they turned it into Avatar and made a kajillion dollars, but this just this this take feels uninspired. Yeah, I uh, I watched this as a kid and rewatching it. I, I mean, I haven't watched it since I was a kid. Um, it was as I remembered it. Um, I think it overall was an enjoyable movie to watch. But yeah, it's not my like favorite out of the, the Disney films um, for sure. But it is like in reading more about like the backstory of how it was created. Um, they didn't want to do another musical and they wanted it to be an action-packed, you know, Disney film. And I think it delivers on that. It was interesting they noted, like, their travels through the caves and into um, Atlantis. Um, they cut a lot of the action scenes from that part of it. And it does kind of, like, which speeds up the film, but it does kind of, like, you know they're just kind of like trundling through the caves without any like interest happening and they just like kind of easily get to Atlantis um but yeah I mean overall it was I enjoyed what I mean it was just it was a nostalgia too of like remembering watching it as a kid um even though it wasn't like my you know top fave but still enjoyable I could just imagine the Disney animation team being like, please have mercy, not another goddamn musical. Please let me rest. <laughs> I mean, yeah, again, I, I too have never watched this movie until about a week ago. Um, this, I, I feel like this, I, this is not intended to be like, a, oh, I'm smarter than everyone else, but I feel like I, I recognize that I think the very, the popular, like, opinion of this movie is that people thought it was okay when it first came out and then they realized it was great i think the actual reality is that people thought it was like bad when it first came out and then they realized it was just okay <laughs> and like having come into the watching the movie seeing that i i agree with you michael i was immensely disappointed by the fact that they didn't capitalize on what was an actual really interesting introduction to the movie but overall like this felt, and, and Iris, you mentioned this was very formulaic. This was about as formulaic as most, like, kind of the Disney animated action films go. And I guess it is interesting to say that, like, this was probably one of the first ones. Like, I, I can say that this is formulaic because I'm familiar with the general Disney action movie plot, but this might have been one of the earlier ones and therefore was more pioneering in that respect. But, like, yeah, it's fine. Kida's really hot. You can tell that the, that the animators really need a bonk, honestly. It um the action scenes are cool. Uh the way that um what's his name? The the main antagonist, the Rourke. the yeah Rourke. Rourke. Uh the way that Rourke dies is is cool and interesting and the, the, the And they didn't explain shit. Doesn't explain shit, but it's it's cool to watch. Um I I don't know. Disney movies were never really a a gigantic part of my childhood, so I don't feel that much of an emotional connection to these movies, Atlantis or otherwise. But this was like all right. I, it's it's about as what I, it's about what I expected. I don't think 
I, I suppose I am agree I'm in agreement. I don't think this necessarily warrants like bad. Like I don't think this was like it should have been a negatively received movie when it first came out. And I'm I guess I'm glad that it's relative reception afterwards has been better but it's not a great movie it certainly doesn't do anything special in my opinion uh when we have seen some disney movies do really special things so in that regard it's it does fall flat so that's where i'll put that that is like the most enlightened centrism take (laughs) (laughs) i knew you were gonna call me out on it but as i said i did not intend that to mean like oh i'm I'm smarter than everyone else so I'll say it again. People who like this movie and people who hate this movie are dumb. <laughs> Only I, who think this movie is mediocre and intelligent. <laughs> oh God! I I do hope we I do hope we do um, Road to El Dorado sometime soon in on the podcast because I feel like there's a lot of parallels between this movie and the Road to El Dorado, and that's a show that I that's a movie I grew up watching. So who knows? Maybe maybe it'll also turn out to be bad and we can compare the two. <laughs> Alex, you have the power to make that happen. I do. That's true. Did that come out before this or after this? It did. It came out in two thousand. Oh. You, you know what movie this reminded other Disney movie? It gave me a lot of Tarzan vibes in like mm. the kind of the huh. time frame huh. and like the general storyline. I mean there's a lot of differences, but yeah, <laughs> Just, there were a lot of similarities. The, the, I thought we're gonna get to the colonialism. Don't you worry, <laughs> listener. Yeah, the the way that the way that Kida and the other Atlanteans moved when they first appeared kind of reminded me of how Tarzan would move through the trees. Uh, yeah, I can I can definitely see the 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 parallels there. Um, but let's let's take a quick moment to talk about uh, our favorite characters and favorite moments. In the film, I know I've been starting out with uh, mine, and I've been snagging them up. So I'll let you all go first uh, to say your pieces, and I'll see if I can fill in the gaps. All right, circling back around, my other second favorite thing about this is not like all of them, but the expedition team, the the interactions between the expedition team and Milo, especially how they progressed over the course of the film. That part I genuinely liked, specifically. The scene in which they start, like, learning a lot about each other when they invite Milo over to eat with them or whatever. And, like, you know, they go into they go into kind of, like, what their deal is, why they're here. They're all like, oh, you're here for money, right? Money, yeah. But they all have different reasons for that, right? So they're all seeing... You're, you were all able to see their actual motivations for being here as well as, you know, previously they were, like, you know, Sweet says, like, Oh, we're we're being a little hard on Milo. Let's like let's like open up to them. And then they have this sort of camaraderie that they build. And I do think, with one exception, it nicely, to a certain extent, led into the whole like, oh no, we can't like we can't side with Rourke, we stay with Milo, and then they, you know, finish the day that uh with, with all of them. So I liked their interactions. Uh Sweet is awesome. Bomb guy, I forgot his name. He's really funny. Um so yeah, I like the expedition team. Quick side note, I also like how they just were dunking on Milo for like absolutely no reason at all. <laughs> yeah. They treated him so poorly at the beginning, uh, and then they're like, "All right, fine, maybe we should let let him eat with us," as if I mean, they weren't he, like he's a, he's a giant fucking nerd. That 
I mean, maybe we should, like, stop actively antagonizing the person on whom all of our collective survival rests, <laughs> you know. Maybe yeah. we should stop stressing out the person whose ability, whose unique ability in the entire world to read a dead language is, like, the reason we're not all getting eaten at every turn. They figured you know, it that out That might be smart. Um, I, I do agree with you, Michael. I do love the sort of... Uh, kind of these these bombastic personalities like these kind of just big very like stark kind of brushstrokes that each one of the expedition team is even if i am like a little bit leery about the fact that most of them feel like they're like two scoops short of being a racial stereotype <laughs> they're not quite there but they're all like close enough right you know the 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 dirty Frenchman, the big, strong black man, the fiery Latina girl, right? I mean, it's like, they're all, like, just almost there. And for that reason, my favorite character is Dynamite Guy, because he's the only one whose accent I can't, like, place as being stereotyped or something. And I, like, right, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's a stereotyped Italian to me, I guess. I don't know what the distinction is. What about the old grandma um, guy? Woman. I had issues with her. <laughs> I thought I mean, she was I, hilarious. She's a pretty stereotypically white grandma, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like big Karen energy, I suppose. But like, I have issues with her not so much from like a racial standpoint, but just like, why is she in this movie? And what kind of humor is this trying to invoke? What about cooking? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. Maybe it's not all of them. Maybe it's not all of them. But some of them, no, I, you, you know what I mean. I, you know I what I mean. Point. It's like yes, I I'm not it. sure if this is like past the line, but it feels like it's uncomfortably close to towing it. Uh, also, Helga is great, and I love that you know that she's awful from the second you meet her. Um, well, I mean, this movie isn't worse than Shark Tale, which came out what five years later than that, so that's a win in in this, for this movie's favor. That's fair, yeah. Uh, I would also say my favorite character is Italian Demo Man, only because all of his lines are really funny. <laughs> like Demo Man, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, what is his name? I'm gonna look. Vincenzo, it up. I have it up. Vinny, and, right? And he wants Vinny, to open yeah. like a flower shop and stuff. Like that. That's uh, it's it's uh, it's wholesome in that regard. Um, I think I think all the characters are. Like this movie didn't intend to flesh them out as real characters, but they they have just enough personality and just enough quirk to make it interesting when they interact with each other, and especially when they interact with Milo. So I give them that. Um, and I also think that, uh, like the the uh, the father, Akita's father, or like I guess he's technically the king of Atlantis. He's a pretty decent character as well for for the you know maybe five or six lines he has in the movie. I think he serves his purpose well. And he does he does have that air of, like, both caring for the well-being of his people and caring for the well-being of his daughter, yet not necessarily knowing how to do both at the same time and kind of failing at both at the end of the day, but still, like, not fucking up significantly so that they can still save the city. Um, so I like that aspect of it, too. And I, I want to say, at least with that character, Leonard Nimoy carries that voice so much yeah that's like another reason. without Wait, Leonard, Leonard Nimoy yes oh yo I just want to say that Milo is adorable I'm just gonna stand by that <laughs> I just think he's yeah just a sweet guy I mean he's trying to like carry everyone through this and everyone's so mean to him I didn't understand I kind of forgot that part of it I'm like this crew kind of sucks they're so mean <laughs> like until the very end 
Um, and did anyone, like, was it just me that noticed that, like, Cookie and Whitmore seem to be the same character? Like, like it looks like they drew the same character, and then they're like, we're supposed to not notice oh. that, like, what they basically Whitmore just copy and paste it. I think, I, think, I think they're, like, mirror images of each other, right? They're the same character, but, like, one is rich and one is poor. <laughs> you know, one, one, one had money to, like, pursue all his, like, quirks, and one of them had to, you know, rough it. Hmm. Do we do we see them both in the same room at the end? Because if not, then they might be the we same do. person. We do, we do. We do. I, I think... remember uh, Cookie keeps being like, "Oh yeah," and uh, Rourke got turned into a crit, and then right. uh, what's her name? Intercom lady whacks him on the head. Oh yeah, at the end when they're debriefing. Oh. Mm-hmm. I thought we were going to go down a theory rabbit hole where he's like the the same person and he snuck on board. Oh god. Um. Yeah, I I think. I have to, my favorite side character has to be has to be sweet just because of um, I think of all the jokes in that uh, in the movie sweet's jokes were the ones that landed for me uh, and also he seems to be like a pretty decent guy um, as well as just he was I think the first one to side with Milo on um, when when the expedition team was starting to turn towards good quote unquote um and so i i thought we we were able to see that kind of progression uh in in that sort of way a, a lot better than the other expedition team members at least for me and i do have to say the la- my favorite scene is probably the fight scene at the end of the movie just because of the fact that they were able to fit planes somehow into the like small tankard um or small mole ship whatever it was and they were able to have a dog fight underground which is not a scene i imagined we will be having in a movie about atlantis okay but on the on the topic though like can we talk about the way this movie it's not even playing fast and loose it's just like straight up disregarding like the laws of physics the laws of like where did all these things come from like there's there's a lot of moments where it's just like that is impossible okay you think i give a shit yeah i mean i don't know i I, it's it's an action film i i give it i give it some leeway in that sense just because i don't know i feel like i've seen more of it like honestly i i thought that the planes were a nice touch because you could tell that they they were like folded up and then they had to unfold them and they had like literally just like a slingshot to throw them out. So they didn't like literally just put a biplane out of the thing and then they go like take off, right? There was some consideration on how we, how it would actually work when it was down there. The, the the real question would be like, how the heck would you think to actually bring a freaking plane down there? <laughs> I mean, but okay, the the way that they treated all the, like, supplies and stuff, it was a freaking like, TARDIS Matryoshka doll box, right? It's like, the planes clearly could not have fit inside the convoy, which itself could not have fit inside the submarines that came off the ship. It's like, I, I know I'm nitpicking here, but that one really, the whole thing of, like, just how much shit did they bring with them really took me out of it. I guess I didn't really, I, I didn't really find it, I had enough... I had a lot of issue with that because what I equated it with was just just like Rourke's uh sort of determination and like the 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 overbringing of stuff. Like I understand what you're saying. Like 
I don't think I consciously was like, that doesn't fit in there, but I accepted it, I think. It's it's like the <laughs> the Polar Express spatial dilation where they're fitting too many train cars in one. Yeah, I was about to say th- this movie is to Iris as Polar Express was to me. It's just, <laughs> there's some really, I mean, I didn't have it. This is Disney magic, I guess. That's all. But, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I do want to take a moment to talk a little bit about the story of this film and and the world building as well because. Uh, that was another thing that I really appreciated about this movie. Is it it did kind of lean into the quote unquote pulp science fiction type of story, uh, and by that I mean like uh, Hyperion, like early science fiction of like finding a lost city that was buried under the ice for thousands of years. I'm getting kind of Lovecraft here. I'm realizing right now, but it was very uh, Lovecraft though. Yeah, but uh, and. And I think that aesthetic was done really well. Like, all the shots of Atlantis, the actual city itself, was really well made. Uh, just the like the runes you could see etched into the buildings, the way the city is constructed, the different uh, water pathways, and the machines themselves, both the robots and the, the fish motorcycles, I guess, for lack of a better term. They all had, like, a really clear stylistic through line to them they all had those blue lines of glowing energy and the way that they were animated in cg was again really beautiful i think this was like on the wikipedia page it was um like the the height of when they were blending 2d and 3d before moving fully to 3d uh for a lot of their other movies and i think this film really captured it extremely well uh, but what about the rest of the all? What did you think about the story and the pacing and the world building of this film? So, Alex, you bring up an interesting discussion point about a sort of sense of Lovecraftianness in there. I was getting major vibes of that, too, especially after those first those first three minutes. And I think that's part of the reason why this this movie's world building, at least, disappointed me because oh, I, I like. I could see the potential, like, like what if, I don't know, you know, it's aliens or like a- elder things, right? Like all of this stuff that it could have been all of this mystery entwined with Atlantis. Oh, they're almost like immortal basically, or they age really, really slowly. And like all this like cool tech and stuff like the, what the heck is this heart of Atlantis thing? And like, why, what, what was the laser thing? And all of these questions got answered in my opinion in a very uninspired way let's just or even uncreative way it felt very much like they had all of these like grand mysteries of like what is atlantis and what is going on here and like why is it lost and then they kind of just were like they phoned in the answers to all of these things and and it really left me with like a this 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 movie could have been so much more interesting and then it turned out not to be um and so to your point alex like if they leaned more into the sort of lovecraftian like oh maybe these like denizens of of atlantis have been here from like way way before humans existed like what if atlanteans were like not humans what if they were like aliens and they brought like alien tech here and all that stuff Obviously, this is not like this is not actual constructive criticism, but 
all of these things in my head were going when those first three minutes happened, and then it was just like sorely, sorely disappointing by the end. I mean, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it, right? The whole Lovecraftian thing. This this movie has a lot of vibes of At the Mountains of Madness, right? The 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 very specific H.P. Lovecraft novella. Um, I here's I guess what I'll I'll put in as my two cents about the pacing because. You all know that my big thing is character, character arcs, character development. The movie did not give us time for really any of the characters to have any sort of appreciable change from their kind of base form, right? Because a lot of these are, particularly with the expedition team, um, although I'd say it kind of applies to pretty much every character in this movie, a lot of the characters are just very big, very, like, clearly defined, bold, you know, brushstrokes, right? It's, you know, we have, when we're first starting the expedition, these little kind of introductory sort of uh, mini-scenes, right? Where Milo gets to meet each one of them, and we get to uh, kind of, we're given a crash course in, like, who and what they are, right? You know, for Mole, it's the don't touch my stuff, and oh, the precious dirt, and oh, I can examine and look at this 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 piece of soil and tell you, you know, everything about yourself, and Cookie's the, oh, I'm the big strong guy, and I've got the deep voice, and I'm the medic, and I'll take care of you, and don't worry, um, or sorry, I said, yeah, sweet, um, right, they've all got their sort of, their, their, their single kind of defining ethos, and not much left around the edges which in and of itself is not a bad thing necessarily because there are just a lot of characters in this movie and the whole kind of the the cast of characters the lineup of the lovable misfits that is the expedition team is a tried and true formula you know it works because you can kind of set these different big bold personalities against each other and watch the sparks fly the problem is when you actually don't give them enough time for anything to really happen you know and it it wasn't just the expedition team that felt like it was a lot of one-note personalities. Even Kida and uh, her father, whose name I don't remember, felt the way that way too, right? It's like the the brash and rebellious and, you know, I'm a, I'm a teenager, a young adult, and I'm not going to listen to my father because the old ways are bad and I need to do something to save everything. But, you know, I have no other friends or family and so I'm going to emotionally attach myself to the first, you know, kind of you know, decent looking twink who's nice to me. <laughs> right? And then the father is just like, yes, I am old and wise and I have seen many winters and you, the things you do are bad because you are young. Right? In, in, I mean, look, literally every movie, literally every movie that's even remotely of the, the, the dances with wolves thing has this character. Um, you know, the, el- the, the the elderly chief who knows better but refuses to elaborate, right? And I guess my biggest problem, you know, it, it is crystallized, I suppose, in this explanation. Uh, like, this extrapolates to the rest of the movie. When it came time for the expedition team to, like, turn around and be like, no, this is actually wrong, we're staying, you know, you're a fucked up piece of shit, Rourke. I'm like, they never showed us anything that would suggest that they are getting to this change of heart. We never had a single moment that would suggest that this these people who have explicitly admitted before to only being in it for the money would start to care. Not even like the slightest bit of time was shown having that character development. And 
I think that's that's just kind of how this movie treats all of these sort of like more subtle bits of development with its pacing. It just goes so quickly. There's so much it needs to cram in, so much exposition, so much backstory, so much telling instead of showing, which is another issue I have with this movie. There was so much just straight up, this is what happened and this is the history and this is what we're doing and this is the bet I have with your grandfather and this is what happened with the book and this is yada, 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 yada. You know, it's just like so much stuff they had to cram in. There really just was not time for us to sit with a lot of the story and to sit with a lot of the characters and to enjoy them and to enjoy them developing over time. And I'm not sure if that's a failing of the premise or a failing of the type of movie that they were making or a failing if they were too ambitious with the scale of the narrative, if they you know needed to scale something back. I'm not sure what the answer is, but it just felt like there was so much like we have to advance the next plot point that there was no time to develop into said plot points or develop into those character moments, you know? Yeah, I'm on board with those opinions. And I think, honestly, that the first, like, half-ish of this movie is actually fairly good. It's entertaining enough, you know, you get the introduction, then you get kind of Milo's introduction, and he's, you know, quirky. He's not original as a character, but he is fun to watch, especially in that introductory scene. And then you get to, you know, like... Him uh, talking to uh, whatever the fuck his name is. Uh, and, you know, he, he has that proposition and he's like, oh, you know, you can go down to Atlantis. And then he's like, oh, yes. And then he, he meets the crew and then the crew goes down and then they start the expedition. Like, I think that entire through line is entertaining enough, if not original, to just be like, oh, OK, this movie is like I could I could enjoy watching this movie as a Disney film. You know, this is pretty run of the mill for them. Once they actually get to Atlantis, though. It's like it's it's almost as if the script is like okay everybody has arrived in Atlantis now the betrayal happens and it's like they're, it's like that's that's what happens like and then you just watch it happen you're like yes it happened and then you know they they set up in order to get the the big kind of fight in the volcano but otherwise the the betrayal and then the fight in the volcano are like the last two kind of moments of the movie and then the movie ends it's it's uh, you know I, it's an echoing of both Michael and Iris's points, although for different kind of you guys kind of voice it in different ways, but it, it it really is just like they didn't do anything with the material that they really kind of set themselves up to have, and it's in that res- respect again this is why you know I don't think this is why this movie was kind of canned when it first came out, but like it is just not interesting at the end of the day, and especially. Especially because now I'm watching it today when, you know, all these movies have come out beforehand and done it better. Like, I suppose if I had watched this when it came out as a child, like you had, Sarah, maybe this would have been more, you know, magical or memorable to me in some way. We, you know, even if it is just for nostalgia's sake. But like, damn, it's just, it's not, it's, it's not interesting at the end of the day. Yeah, you, you took the words right out, of my mouth, right out of my mouth, which is that, you know, this this kind of complaint about the, the pacing and the lack of character development is actually on consideration really similar to Michael what you were saying about the premise and the way that they failed to follow up on it it's like they did such a great job I mean cramming it all in right they really had to like condense stuff down and they really like honestly it was a lot of like okay we're gonna get to this plot point so we can get to this plot point so we can get to this exposition like just like checking them off the list but like the the setup to a lot of stuff was really interesting and had a lot of great potential it's like you've posed a number of great questions you know, with the 
premise, with the setup of the 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 narrative tension with these characters. And then it's at the part where we start to ask, okay, well, you set up this great thing. You've gotten us this great premise. What comes next? Where it feels like the... It just it begins to fall apart, begins to not stand up. Yeah, I, I do think that in an alternate universe where we had a movie that... An Atlantis movie that had a little bit more time, or maybe even an Atlantis TV show that spent a little time like going through a lot of the like the journey to atlantis for example uh you i think you mentioned sarah on on your rewatch um they they cut out a lot of stuff from uh the journey and to see like them like struggle and move uh and finally get to atlantis and all the while building up those like character bonds between everyone uh amongst the expedition member and i think that would have made the eventual betrayal even more uh more heart-wrenching because after we'd see milo like get to know Vinny, get to know sweet get to know everyone else he finally realizes that they're still just in it for the money they're not in it for like the archaeological significance or for the people who are still living in there um but yeah it's it, I think it is just uh, a matter of time for for me. Just the fact that there was not enough time to do everything that they wanted to do, and so things did end up feeling a little bit rushed at the end. Yeah, um, it's interesting you said a TV show because in my extensive Wikipedia search this afternoon, um, they actually were planning to do a TV show after they had already been to Atlantis after this movie, but. Um, it wasn't received well enough for them to continue with it. So they did like a direct to, um, you know, DVD, um, or I guess VHS, whatever, uh, direct to home <laughs> um, sequel, uh, which I did not watch. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like be careful what you wish for, right? Because Aladdin had a TV show adaptation that was like, this universally canned. Uh, I mean, direct to video sequels are already such like a fraught territory with Disney. You know, like I'm sure if they had done a TV show, we would all be like, just like, oh god, I'm not touching that with a ten foot pole. Um, I'm gonna offer my hot take for the episode, if you will, uh, which is not you know the hottest take I've ever had, but you know it's a thought. I think what they needed to do. Uh, okay, let me actually preface this. Part of me has been thinking, you know, we're 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 given it all these like criticisms. We're talking about the pacing being poor. We're talking about the character development being poor. We're talking about the the resolution of the narrative tension, the narrative arcs being uninteresting, uninspired. You know, are we judging this by the wrong set of criteria? Because at the end of the day, this is a kids movie, right? And you know, not everything we do on this podcast, a lot of stuff we do is you know, aimed at kids or young adults, but like, this is like solidly kids with a capital K movie. This is for your, you know, five to eight year old, you know, uh, to, to while away a couple of hours in the afternoon. And part of me is like, are we judging this by a set of criteria that, you know, it doesn't merit being judged by? Are we judging it based on criteria that should be, you know, reserved for movies that are like a bit more serious. And that's like a whole conversation. That's a whole discussion that I think is not necessarily relevant to this film. But like it's sort of been in the back of my mind about, you know, I don't I don't agree with that opinion, but I think there is some merit to it. 
All of this to say, my hot take for this movie is that they needed to just scale back. They needed to try to do less better. Because at the end of the day, I think all these things we're talking about, the problems with the character development, the problems with the plot unfolding, just this 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 telling, not showing, uh, which we didn't really dive into, but really bothered me. Just the way that so much of the exposition was just, here's what happened, here's what happened, and, and very explicit character talking to camera moments. I feel like all of that could have been solved if they tried to not do as much with this story. It feels like there's so many different plot points to hit. There's so much to get through just like content wise that there really isn't time to do anything other than speed past all these narrative moments that they've got set out. I'm not sure if y'all will agree with that in the slightest, but that's my, that's my overall opinion. It's interesting. I was about to immediately disagree with you. And then I was like, ah, you know, you're kind of right. But what, what I was going to say is that I'm not I'm not actually quite convinced that this movie feels as much of a kid's movie as the traditional other uh, Disney movies are. Um, I'm not going to comment on the fact that they animated, you know, uh, Kida in such a way that it feels like that because that's not a, a valid point. But I do think that I don't know. I think that's a valid point. <laughs> but I, I do I, I do think that it felt like at least for the animating and storyboarding teams, they had more freedom to introduce more mature themes or not mature themes but like just themes that were maybe aimed for 10 to 12 instead of 5 to 8 i guess i that was the impression i was getting i'm not quite sure if you guys agree but i i didn't necessarily feel like this was like you know bang on the wall kids movie whereas you know emperor's new groove felt like a bang on the wall kids movie that we just all happened to enjoy because the jokes were funny to us too as adults like i think this actually felt kind of you know aimed towards maybe a a group of kids that are like kind of getting interested in sci-fi or you know storytelling or something like that which i don't know felt to me more like something that i would do if i were 11 than i were six in any case i think your point is correct i think that if you if you if you look at it from the point of view where you know if this truly should be a kid's movie you know tone it down really just Get the basics right. You already have the, the you know, the skeleton of a pretty formulaic but good Disney movie. So you could do better by literally just, you know, trimming away the fat and making sure that the story points that you and the beats that you want to get, you know, emphasize really come through. And then you have a good movie. Alternatively, my, you know, the way I would look at it was if, you know, this is supposed to be for older kids, maybe you try to, you know, lean heavier into the world building more. Try and get, you know, more of that kind of wonder into what Atlantis is. Because Atlantis as a destination, while animated very beautifully, doesn't have a lot that's interesting about it. And, I, you know, that, again, kind of uh, plays into Michael's point about how they didn't capitalize on what was really a pretty interesting setup. You know, that this is, Atlantis is a mythical place. You could really make it, you know, pretty wild if you really wanted to. And they just didn't. So I suppose making, making it that way would have been cool for kids that would be, would have been into that you know this could have been their jumping point into i don't know maybe maybe you watch this movie and you're like oh i want to start a dnd campaign where we're all in atlantis <laughs> or some shit like that or make it yeah make it like wakanda that would be sick uh, yeah another good another good uh, first everything you just said marcus amazing i 100 percent agree the second i realized what the, the this thought was trying to crystallize in my brain earlier, and I just wanted to share it. I think part of why it feels so rushed is that they spend 90 minutes trying to do Journey to the Center of the Earth and then 
dances with wolves stapled onto the end, (laughs) right? Like, that's literally what the plot is. It's just these two, like, very famous stories just kind of, like, mashed together. And it's... Also, please. So, like, uh, you know, there are... Okay. If, if If the editors working on this movie we're like oh we need to fit this in fit this in we need to make it like 90 minutes you know sub time you know like you know that's understandable it's that time it's 2000 so 90 minutes is sort of a good bench line maybe 100 minutes they did not need to spend 10 minutes in that freaking museum okay like <laughs> of, of an entire conversation with the guy that does not want to listen to you in a car chasing after a car going up to the car talking with him in the car and i'm like literally just brief explanation on the lore of atlantis i know it's a lot but he spends like five minutes talking to these sock puppets put it down a little bit he gets the thing from them and they're like oh we sorry we can't meet with you then just cut to his apartment and helga's there okay just eliminate all of the freaking annoying talk with that with those guys in the museum that's like five to ten extra minutes there, okay, editor. <laughs> but but if we if he doesn't monologue directly into the camera, how are we going to know what you know the fuck is happening? How are we going to know the whole difference between Ireland and Iceland? <laughs> yeah, if Milo doesn't spend five fucking minutes staring into your soul through the camera and telling you about it. I mean, that is the kids' movie special though, because they're not gonna oh. fucking get it unless it's. Yeah. Also, like, I hate that that's not how translation works. That's not how <laughs> yeah, this I works. I, I do think it's a it's a necessary evil uh, at the beginning. I do I do agree that it could have been trimmed down a little bit, but I feel like it's a good way to just like throw us into the story, establish Milo's character and also the that's obstacles say, yeah. obstacles that he's up against, and like just succinctly put his situation in the light to then immediately like flip the switch and like offer him this chance to go to Atlanta, something he's wanted dreamed about going to. But yeah, I, I don't know how I, I would change it personally. Um, but yeah, I do think that that kind of setup is a necessary evil on the, the movie's part. Um, but before we wrap up our talk about Atlantis, I do want to talk a little bit about the villains in the movie, specifically Rourke and Helga. Um, and what you all thought about them, uh, because obviously when we talk about Disney, when we've talked about Disney films in the past, we talk a lot about um, the the villains and how they either like help or detract from this movie. And now that I'm realizing it, Sarah, this is kind of like a similar um, antagonist almost to our uh, our. our Iron Giant episode and the fact that they're like very heavily militarized um, enemies that our protagonists are going up against. So that's like a parallel that I didn't realize until just now. But yeah, what what did you all think about Rourke and Helga? Um, not talking about Rourke or Helga, but uh, just another Iron Giant reference. <laughs> um, at the very end, though, I did. Oh yes. Okay, I mean, I don't know if this is like not the time to say it, but um. No, no, go ahead. The the statues that come to life and their eyes glow. I'm like, this is the exact starting scene of the Iron Giant. <laughs> we said that too. Uh, we literally said that. I I, I was oh saying that God. it was like those uh, flesh monsters from Nausicaa. Oh yeah. Uh, I, you know, a little bit of a or even just dive, the, but, the robots from Castle in the Sky. By the way, this this film felt so much like Castle in the Sky. By the way, um, 
Anyway. So that's why I didn't like yeah. it. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> um, <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. Small point. I do think that Helga is the actual hottie in this movie, not Kira. Hot, <laughs> hot take. Um, anyway, so... Uh, a man of culture, I see. <laughs> um, yeah, Rourke is interesting. I, I, you know, it's hard to say with villain twists. Like, we've had a few talks on this show about, like, twist villains and stuff, and... This one felt, no, okay, I, I don't want to say it felt overtly obvious, but it felt more obvious than normal, if that makes any sense. Like, like, oh god, I'm, I'm hearkening back to Incredibles 2, right? Because Incredibles 2 has these, uh, did we talk about that on this podcast yet? <laughs> Not technically, because okay. we only talked about the first Incredibles. Well, spoilers we, we, we for Incredibles 2, I guess. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to dance around it. But basically, there are these two characters whom represent, like, you know, big corporation and stuff. And the main guy invites the Incredibles to be like, oh, be incredible again. And then his sister, yes, um, who's like the, the techie brain behind it all, gives them all the sweet gadgets and stuff. They're working together and all that stuff. And to me, at least. The reason why I liked that villain, uh, twist villain one in that movie was because it was at least somewhat interesting that it wasn't the big guy, the main guy who was the actual villain. It was her, right? The sort of techie underneath everything, manipulating things from behind the scenes thing. And so, I mean, to be fair, her name was literally the phrase evil endeavor. Oh, that's true. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so coming back to this movie, uh, spoilers are done. Rourke felt so much like he was obviously the bad guy that you have to just go in being like, yep, he's the bad guy. And so when they go to you and they're like, what a twist! Did you see that coming? <laughs> I'm like, okay, I mean, yes, but he, like seriously, really? And um. And 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 this and I think that Helga was actually treated somewhat better because she at least had the doubts, right? She had doubts. She was like, "Oh, there's people here. This changes things." And Rourke was like, "No, it doesn't." Um, and so personally, I think that Rourke is just bland. And in a sense, Iris, you're exactly right. Literally every Dance with the Wolves story has Rourke somewhere. Like in Avatar, he's there. In freaking Pocahontas, he's there. And so Rourke is so plainly the character of that villain archetype that you're just like, yeah, okay, okay. But I think that Helga at least has some sort of nuance that they could have capitalized on and they just threw it all away. And I can't, and someone remind me of the ending of the freaking movie because for the life of me, I can't remember. Does Helga have like a redemption moment? No, she doesn't. And that was what I was going to complain yeah. about was the biggest problem. Like, look, right. They're both so obviously set up to be these villain characters, right? Uh, Rourke is the, you know, the, the capitalist colonialist here to like, you know, the part where he's like, oh, yes, I'm sure this trip will be very enriching for all of us. Like, you can just see the like script writers just like, uh, 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 nudging you, you know, like, uh, enrich, uh, uh. um, and Helga, you know, like, the way she was introduced, the sitting in the darkened apartment, and she's got, like, the arched, dark, you know, spiky brows, and the permanent scowl, and, you know, just, like, a little bit too put together, like, just the way she holds herself, it's like, okay, yes, this is the way Disney treats its 
you know, female villains. Like, obviously. But the the ways that, you know, Helga does seem to, like, actually care for the members of the expedition, the way that she has doubts. Like, I predicted, like, I think five minutes into the movie that she was going to have a heel face turn at the very end that work was going to, you know, like betray them and abandon them or trap them or do something. And she was going to be the one to come back and have a change of heart and save them. And I honestly felt like, okay, first of all, not that like that's, that's not a crazy prediction or anything that would also be pretty par for the course for Disney movies. But I felt like it was a failure to capitalize that that didn't happen and that really the extent of her change of heart was like in her presumptive dying moments getting revenge on the man who betrayed her and killed her and left her to die right that's as much as you can say is that she she fired on the hot air balloon out of a desire for revenge that's literally the best motive you can ascribe to her and i i think that was a failing you know i think they could have I think it could have been less bland. The, the the villains could have been less bland had we actually seen Helga go through a change of heart. Um, I'll add that I, supp- I I agree with you, Iris, and I think that, you know, if you have two villains and two clear, you know, clear-cut villains, you could always kind of expect maybe one of them to have that heel point turned. Like, you would actually hope for it, just because if you had two villains that are about the same but have different, like, motivations for being the same, then you just have two villains, and then they both die, which is kind of what happened in this movie, because you have two villains, and they're basically the same, and then they kind of bait you into thinking that Helga's going to be better, but she's not, and then you just get two villains again, and they both die. Honestly, Helga doesn't even die for a reason. Work's just like, all right, time to kill you too, because I'm <laughs> yeah. evil. Yeah. I'm evil. Yeah, it was like, War was like, I am more evil than you, so you must die. And then what, Helga was like... What was the line that he said when you like tried to push her off? He she was yeah, he was like, Can't we get rid of any more weight? And she's like, Not unless people start jumping and he's like, Ladies first oh, yeah. and smacks right. her across oh, the back the of the head. Like I know that cartoonishly evil is a phrase for a reason, but like, God, how much more cartoonishly evil can you get? Yeah, it's not like he's even like an evil sorcerer. He's just a me- he's just a guy. He's right? just a he's capitalist. Just like, like Jafar, he's just a capitalist. Jafar he's just a and like the woman from Emperor's New Groove or whatever, they are allowed to be cartoonishly evil because they've set up that expectation. Rourke's just a guy. <laughs> also, they're funny. Yeah. They're like interesting exactly. to watch. Um I, I guess I'll play devil's advocate in this in this side, but like what what would you say makes Rourke and Helga different than for let's say for example the Huns in Mulan as a sort of because the Huns in Mulan act as they're not like characters unto themselves they're just like a driving force to push against um uh Mulan and like the the story beats in that show and i i think they they uh, Helga and Rorik fill a similar role in here. So what would you say like the difference between those two antagonists would be? It's kind of an interesting choice that you've made. Uh, there there are two things that immediately jump to mind. One is just the, the personal or impersonal aspect, right? Like Rorik and Helga are like right there the entire time. They're like part of the film. You know, they're, they're up close and personal, whereas the Huns are kind of these distant driving force, right? They're more of a plot mechanic than they are really characters. Uh, but the big thing, the big distinction is that the Huns are treated seriously, like deadly seriously. 
right? And I mean, we, we talked about Mulan on this podcast. We talked about the tonal shift that happens about halfway through when they first discover the ruined village. We talked about the way that the entire movie becomes like deadly serious when the Huns like are really close by. The Huns are never like treated with flippancy. They don't do like the quippy one-liners. They don't do the kind of the, the over-the-top monologuing. They don't do the whole like, ah, yes, I'm going to sit down on the throne and put my boots up. Because I'm evil, right? They don't need to demonstrate, you know, how much of, you know, how big assholes they are. You know, they don't need to, they don't need to make these grand overtures of, look at me, hate me because I'm evil, I'm awful. I'm doing these things just because I can because I'm awful. Like, they are treated, like, with a lot of seriousness and a lot of, I guess, respect for the danger and the evil that they are. That's, I think, how I'll phrase it, is that this show does not respect the ways in which Rourke is evil. It plays them for humor. It plays them for big kind of vaudevillian showiness. And I'll add, and I, hopefully I am becoming Iris's uh, apprentice in a characterful, <laughs> characterful <laughs> development. Because yes, yes, the, if, if we take on the face of it that Rourke and Helga and the Huns are both plot devices that the protagonists bounce off of Mulan, the sorry, the movie Mulan uses that device as character characterization for Mulan. We get to see how she overcomes those obstacles in inventive ways. And it shows, it brings out her character as well as it brings out the characters of the rest of the gang that I can't remember. Whereas in, in Rourke and Helga, what are they actually telling us? Did they change Milo? No. Rourke dies because Helga gets pissed off. It has no reflection whatsoever on the main actual characters of our story. Milo has not changed whatsoever. He's just gone on an adventure. And Keto is a blue spirit during that entire time. Keto has no character. She barely even is in the movie the entire time. <laughs> Michael, I just want to say that I am so <laughs> proud of you. <laughs> I know you'd like that. Uh, all right. Great answers, y'all. Um, and I think uh, that will wrap up our podcast for tonight. So thank you all so much for listening. Hopefully you gleaned um, some new information about this movie. And hey, if you thought this movie was a hidden gem and want to refute any of our points, please, Iris, drop the uh, email in, <laughs> into the podcast. That is going to be bestseatpodcast at gmail.com. As a reminder, I don't know what I said we would do for if you were going to be like the the first one to email us, but literally no one has ever emailed us. I, so don't I tell don't them email as a text. We need to have a... <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know if you want to if you want to like guest star uh, Sarah can you can you uh, can you pitch to our lovely listeners the joy of guest starring on this podcast? <laughs> it's loads of fun. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to do the same thing, you should email us. Let us know your thoughts, and we I I you know I don't really know how to be like a community manager. <laughs> we're, person, we're definitely but... not going to regret this open invitation, are we? <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I think in the future, if some miracle happens and we have, like, thousands of listeners, then probably we're going to revisit it, but at that point, like, I'll have an actual job other than just keeping our schedule, so... <laughs> I'll, 
I'm gonna edit in a this is just a joke. Uh, do not just please disregard. <laughs> why why do you need to edit that in? You, you just, just said it. it's right there. Yeah, I'm gonna edit it in again. But anyway, thank you so much for listening, <laughs> folks. Uh, this week's video that you can watch on YouTube uh, is water themed. It's called The Return of the Waves by Goblins, um, the French animation studio. So go check that out. Sarah, thank you again so much for joining us um, and for bringing your nostalgic wisdom to our podcast. Always a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Yay, we love you. Yeah. And with that, uh, you will hear from us next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thank you.